There, there should be something that we're taking away. God is, God is speaking to New Life Fellowship that this is a year of growth. So if you're a member here, if this is your church home, I'm trusting that God is speaking to you as well as about where you're going to grow. Uh, this year's word to us is growth. So that's what we've been talking about. Today is the last Sunday in our series on, on growth. If you've missed any of the messages, you can go back and listen online and catch yourself up. But uh, if you've been around any length of time, you know that we are a diverse supernatural community helping people encounter Jesus. And these are the areas that we're going to grow in as a church this year. Uh, I said last week, I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but 2017, New Life Fellowship will look different than it looks like in 2016. Why is that? Because we're going to grow. How many of you know when you grow, by definition, you look different afterwards? If, if you look the same, that's not growth. That there, there is something else that's going on besides growth. So what uh, one of God's goals for us, and this is kind of the key verse we've been using, Ephesians chapter 415, you saw it in the video, God wants us to grow up. Everybody say, I want to grow up too. That, there, there is a secret. If you get nothing else today, there is a secret in life right there. If you want what God wants, things usually work out pretty well in your life, right? Yeah. That's, that's when we get tripped up and we get really messed up in life is when we begin to pursue the things that we want that aren't what God wants for us. And one of the things that God wants is he wants us to grow up. And it says to know the whole truth and tell it in love like Christ in everything. That is his goal for us to look exactly like Jesus when he's done with us. And I believe that applies to us as individuals and it applies to us corporately. New Life Fellowship needs to look more and more like the body of Jesus Christ. Every year, every day that goes by, the things that we do, we're going to grow together. Uh, Some of the things that we've talked about, we said the definition of growth means to increase and become mature. So those are some things we're looking at, whether it's increase in numbers of people that are here, increase in our influence in the community, uh, increase in us as individuals, what we do in the workplace, the responsibilities we're able to bear and to become mature. Uh, we, we talked several weeks about putting childish things away and walking on to maturity and what God has for us. Uh, we also said there's two types of growth, unintentional and intentional. We, we need to be intentional about pursuing growth. There are things and choices we need to make to actually participate in the process of growing. And intentional growth actually saves us a lot of the heartache that we experience through unintentional learning. How many of you have ever learned a lesson unintentionally? Like... Oh, I didn't mean to learn that lesson when I set out, but I know it now and I'm not going to do that again. And then uh, a couple things that we talked about. We talked about planning and putting down roots. We took in some new members last week. It was awesome to receive you guys. Uh, people deciding to actually plant. I'm going to stay where I am and put down some roots so I can begin to be nourished and grow. And that's something God has for us. And then uh, last week, a couple of the, the thoughts that we hit on, we said we need to own it. We need to own our responsibility for growing. This is not just I'm sitting at home on the couch hoping that someday I'll be more like Jesus. I need to participate in the process, make decisions, and own the portion I have to play in my growth with Jesus. Uh, So uh, next week we talked about having a guest, but this week I want to finish up the growth series by telling you some things that we experience as we grow. How do we measure it? What does it look like in our lives? And the first thought I had this morning is as I grow, we grow. Everybody say, I grow. And then look at your neighbor and say, we grow. There, there is something. All, all personal growth, this, this is a statement, this is a truth I want you to grab this morning. All personal growth benefits all of us. Personal growth benefits the church. When I grow, we grow together. There is something that, nothing we do in life affects only us. 
If, if you've ever believed that lie, stop it. Because sometimes we think, oh, it doesn't matter what choices I make and the things I do. It's just me. You know, I'm, I'm going to live my life, be my own man, and it's not going to affect it. That's not true. Everything that we do in life affects other people. And when I grow, we grow. There are people counting on you. I don't want to wear out, look at your neighbor and say that. But, but really, if you look around this room, there are people counting on you. We, we need, I need you to grow. I need you, as much as I need to grow, I need you guys to grow too. Because, because the church won't grow if we're not growing individually in our walk with God. And it's, it's not just even the people in this room. There, there's a cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, according to Hebrews, that's rooting for us, cheering us on, wanting us to do, to get with the program of what Jesus wants us to do. So there is something about growth that affects all of us together. We need each other to grow. I, I just want to hit it one more time before I leave that. We need each other to grow. There, there is something, if, if, if I don't grow this year, I'm not just letting myself down. There's people that are counting on us. So as I grow, we grow. Our key verse that we read came from Ephesians 4. I wanted to give you a couple other verses from that chapter. Uh, The chapter of Ephesians 4 starts out with this is verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Paul's desperate plea for the church in Ephesus and for us as believers today even is to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. Now, you could read that verse and say, oh, Paul, you know, I thought you told us you weren't going to be legalistic anymore. You're not going to put this yoke on us. You're, but now you're telling us we've got to live up to something. And yes, Paul's not putting some kind of legalistic yoke back on people, but he's saying there is growing to do. He's saying we, there's a calling that God has placed on us. There's a responsibility for each other and for the world that he's placed upon us. And he's asking us to live up to the calling that he's given us to walk into what he's asked us to do. Uh, here's, here's a way of thinking about it that uh, hit me one time. The world, when you're living in the world system, people give you expectations you have to live up to. Have you ever experienced that? It's like everybody has an idea of how you should live your life, right? It starts with your parents. Hey, you need to go to school, be a doctor, be a lawyer, whatever the expectations were. It's like the world gives you expectations they expect you to live up to. God gives you possibilities to walk into. Because when he looks at you, he's not saying, man, if you don't do this, I'll be so disappointed. I'll be angry at you. He looks at you and says, man, you're my son. You're my daughter. Look at these gifts I've given, these talents. He calls forth that out of us, and he puts it out there as a possibility for us to walk into. The, the best example of that, I heard a college a music instructor say this story one time because he talked about all of his students would come to class, and it's, it was a pretty big deal, like a college-level music class where they were all really good. You, you didn't get there without being really good at what you're doing already. And he said he noticed that the students would get so caught up in comparing themselves. And, and they'd look at each other and then they'd think about, oh, I'm going to mess that up today, aren't I? You know, everybody's watching me. They're going to hear me that place. So do you know what the professor did? At the beginning of the semester, he told the students, he said, you all have an A. He said, stop worrying about what everybody compares and who's going to, you all get an A. And what he did, he said, at the end of the semester, I had them write a paper, say, here's, here's what I did and why I deserve the A that I got. And he said, it freed them up from thinking about all this comparison junk and this pressure they felt to perform. And it let them walk into that possibility of like, oh, somebody already sees me as an A student. 
And that, that frees me to, to walk in that. And that's exactly what God did through Jesus on the cross. He gave all of us an A. And he puts it out there, not as this expectation of you better perform or else, but you've got a possibility to walk into. You can live a life worthy of the calling you've received because of what Jesus did on the cross and his spirit living inside of you. That's a good point right there. I'll say amen to me. He's not putting, he's not putting a yoke on people, but he is saying as Christians, there should be changes in how we act. There should be growth that's happening that causes us to look more like Jesus. He goes on in verse 2 to tell them, here's what a worthy life looks like. In case you were wondering, live a life worthy of the calling. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, here's what it looks like. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He, he goes on, that's the one where he says, there's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Isn't that amazing? And he, so he says, here is the life worthy of that calling. And he puts it square in the context of relationship with others. That's how we live a life worthy of the calling. He doesn't say, Here's, you, you've received this calling, live this life worthy so it can be the Chris show. Come on, isn't that how a lot of people go through life? Like, it is all about me. It's the me show. He says, a life worthy of the calling is an us show. When I grow, we grow. It is, it is all about the we. And not, not the Nintendo. Like. Anybody still have one of those? Ever? Anybody break any furniture with your kids hitting that baseball or that tennis racket? I've, I've seen broken TVs where they didn't put the strap on their wrist. And not, that not that we. The we that's in this room. It is all about the we. When I grow, we grow. And that's how we live a life worthy. He puts the, the desire for us to grow in the context of the church and how we treat each other. There is one body and we are all part of it. And if you ever... I don't even know how to give this example. If you were wanting to walk somewhere and your legs weren't agreeing with the direction that you wanted to walk, wouldn't that be kind of awkward? Like, I don't even know how to demonstrate that. Like, my right leg's wanting to go that way, but the left leg's like that. And, but, but wait, I want to go over there. It's almost, it's almost ridiculous and ludicrous to think about that example in our body. But that's what happens in the church. If we are not in it together, if we are not putting the we first, if we're trying to make it the, the me show, that's what's happening. You've got one leg going this way and one leg going that way. And the head, Jesus himself, is saying, but I want us to go this way. There's people that need me over there. There's people that need to be reached. And, you, and we're fighting about which way we want to go. But when I grow, we actually grow together. And we begin to cooperate with the head and the body begins to function better. Jesus is actually just as concerned about these relationships as he is about this relationship. Come on. He, he wants you to know him. That's, that's the desperate cry. That's why he went to the cross. I want a people for my own possession. I'm going to purchase you from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But he is actually as concerned about us developing this relationship with him as he is about us together. Because there, there is something that happens when we grow together. And we begin to function in harmony and unity together. The world gets reached. And here's, here's the outcome. Here's that, the key verse we read in Ephesians 4.15. Uh, here's a different translation. of it. it says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. 
in verse 16 says, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The supporting ligaments are us. That's, that's like a weird way to encourage people in church, isn't it? You're such a great ligament. Like, I, I honestly can't remember ever, anybody ever encouraging me with that thought until this very moment in church. Hey, you're doing a great job being a ligament. But think about what your ligaments do in your body. You may have received encouragement like, man, thank you for bearing that burden with us. Or, yeah, you really pull your weight, Steve. Thank you for that. There, there are things that we encourage, but we're saying that verse. We don't say you're a great ligament, but we're counting on each of us to do our part. To make the body function together. Come on, when, when, as we grow, that's what happens. Instead of our legs fighting each other, as we grow into the head, into Christ, we begin to walk together. Think about when you're a baby. Like when you're, you ever watch a baby? I've, I've watched Leo do this. You know, he doesn't even know it's his own hand smacking him in the head, right? You're a baby, you're not even aware. Like, who did that? And it's like, oh, it's me. And, and you, don't, you don't realize they're your own hands until later in life if your older sibling or your dad says, why are you hitting yourself in the face? Like, then I know it's my hands hitting me in the face. But as you grow, you begin to, to realize, oh, there's some, these, these things work together in harmony. You know, I, I stop punching myself in the face and hurting myself, and I begin to work together to accomplish what the body wants. You know, and then... You know, as a baby, you're hitting yourself in the face. But even growing up, thinking about the, the life cycles of churches and people, you get to adolescence, and you're still in kind of that awkward phase. Like, my body doesn't always cooperate. Like, like really, that's what a lot of churches go through. Like, hey, we're trying to work out the relationships for each other, and, and I was upset at you, and I didn't get along with you. And it's like that awkward phase of, like, I'm dribbling the basketball off my feet or stumbling around. But we grow through that. And we begin to realize how we all work together. And then the next thing you know, instead of dribbling the basketball off my foot, we're, we're slamming it. Or whatever, whatever your analogy may want to be, we, we learn how to do the thing that we've been called to do. The thing that we were struggling and striving to figure out how to do individually and make it happen, we realize together we can actually do it. So when I grow, we grow. And the result of the body growing, because whose body are we? That wasn't a trick question. <laughs> Some, uh, is it New Life Fellowship? Is it Pastor Chris? Whose body are we? We are Jesus' body. Steve, what does your body do? Whatever Steve wants it to do, right? When, when, when Steve thinks something, it happens in his body. What's supposed to happen with Jesus' body? The stuff that Jesus did happens. If we mature and we figure out when I grow, we grow, and when we grow together, the stuff that happened when Jesus literally physically walked on the earth is what happens when people encounter his body. When sick people encounter the body of Christ, they should receive healing. When, when, when naked and hungry people encounter the body of Christ, they should receive food and clothing. There is something about when Jesus goes places, stuff happens supernaturally. People that were in bondage to Satan, to addictions, whatever it is, when they encounter Jesus through his body, freedom comes to those captives. This, that's why it's important for us to grow so that we can grow, so that we can do what the head wants. Because he wants exactly the same stuff he did when he walked on the earth to keep happening among us. And when we do it right, the grand prize of all is the Father is revealed to people. And they begin to realize, man, someone loves me. 
Someone has a plan for my life. Someone is able to save me from what I've been going through. What's your favorite Jesus story? When you read through the Gospels, when you see the things that he did, what, what like really hits you? Like, oh, that was awesome. Jesus, I, I, I get so encouraged every time I read that. I can't believe how awesome that was. I can't believe what you did. That's what should happen when people encounter the body of Christ. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's not, it's not just a story for me. It encourages me. It gets me excited. But it should be happening when people encounter the body. Because it's his body and he's the head. When I grow, we grow. And you get the most bang for your buck. The most context comes to your life when your growth causes us to grow together and to do what Jesus did when he walked on this earth. I think that ought to be part of our question when we're talking about how am I going to grow this year. Part of our thought process ought to be how how do my choices to grow benefit the whole? What, What am I doing that's causing Jesus to be revealed in the earth today? So when I grow, we grow. Another thing I thought that happens when I grow, I sacrifice. Ooh, everybody say, ooh. <laughs> like that's not one we preach a lot in church, but that really is a reality of growing. When I grow, there are some sacrifices I make. When, when Paul said I put childish things away, how many of you know sometimes childish things aren't easy to put away? It's like, but I enjoyed that. <laughs> that, that was fun. You know, I, I, I enjoyed I'll get, the we grow. I enjoy playing that we, you know, every day for eight hours. But, you know, at some point I got other things to do to grow and to be a responsible adult. And I had to put it away. When I grow, I make some sacrifices. And here is an interesting comment that that I found to be true. Because uh, as you grow, more and more people are watching you. You know, as, as you grow in influence and number, as the church grows, more and more people are watching you and your responsibility increases. And the more responsibility that you have for others the less freedoms you have yourself. What do you mean by that, Pastor Chris? Come on, we we live in a culture where there is a high value placed on no one can tell me what to do or what to be. Have we we not all seen that and experienced that in in society today? Like that is, hey, I'm going to be my own person. But the reality is for Christians, I have become a slave to Christ. And I do what he tells me to do. I sacrifice things for his sake. Come on, that really is what it means to make him Lord of our lives, right? Like, like he's not just my Savior, I've made him my Lord also, which means he's the boss and he can tell me what to do. And it goes against the grain of what the society says. And the society says, do whatever you want, however it makes you feel is good, it's, it's up to you. And Jesus is saying, you need to do what I want you to do so people can see me through your life. And there, there are some things, you know, we've been set so free, but there are some things that I don't do. For the sake of others, for the sake of people that are watching my life. Here's, here's a couple of verses. First, first Corinthians 9, to, just to back this up. So, you know, I'm, I'm telling you the truth here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 says, Though I am free and belong to no man. So that, that part of Paul's message is really appealing to everybody, right? Like, yes, nobody can tell me what to do. He says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And he goes on in that passage. He talks about, hey, I wanted to win the Jews, so I became like a Jew. I wanted to reach those people that still kept the law, so, so I acted like somebody that had the law. To the weak person, I became weak. To the one that didn't have the law, I became like them. Why did he do that? He became all things to all men so that by any means possible, he might save some. 
Paul knew, I've been set so free, I really could do whatever I want. But for the sake of the gospel and for others. That's what he finishes in verse 23. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul really knew that Jesus had set him free from rule keeping. But he said, you know what? I am going to suppress some of my freedoms to reach people for Jesus. And again, that's not a legalistic yoke or anything. That's just saying when I grow, I realize there are some things I don't do because I'm more concerned about reaching others. You know, he even he even goes on chapter 10 in the next chapter in, in Corinthians there. He goes on this whole discussion about meat sacrifice to idols. You guys remember reading that story? And he actually tells people like, hey, I'm free to eat whatever I want. But sometimes I don't for the sake of those around me. You know, if, if they're weak in their conscience and they don't think they're free, then, hey, I'm just going to do it or not do it for their sake. What does that practically mean for us? You know, because I don't think any, has anybody ever gotten in a decision about um, meat sacrifice to idols? <laughs> anybody, anybody ever, ever been at Burger King or Chick-fil-A? Like, and that's come up like, hey, what, does, was this burger offered to Baal? Like, that doesn't come up for us, right? So what, what does that practically mean to our lives in our, in our discussion? It means, you know, I, I might not post every personal opinion I have on social media. <laughs> of all the things you could say, I get to preach on that one. Come on. Is, is, is that not a stumbling block for some people? Like, oh, you know, I read what you wrote on that. You are the most hateful, bigoted person I've ever experienced in my life. And it's like, you know, you're not like that. But there are opinions. It's like, hey, for the sake of reaching others, I may keep that to myself. Oh, <laughs> uh, if. I, I, I've had several interactions with young people of saying, you don't have to tell everybody everything you do and think it's okay to keep some of that to yourself. I'm, I might have to give a, up a Friday night of my time, you know, for somebody that's hurting. Yeah. I, did, I did several hours this week of sitting with Doris. Please remember to pray for Doris. Like, she's, she is, if nothing changes, it's going to be soon. She needs a miracle in her body. But it's like, hey, that's something I did that wasn't something I may have done with my time otherwise. It's like, oh, I've got places to go, things that, that I'd rather do or go have fun. But it's like, no, somebody needs me. Yeah. And, and it needs me more than I need to do what I want with my time. That's what I mean by as I grow, I sacrifice. You know, I, may, I may need to recognize that some people interpret scriptures different than me. But we're all on the same team. I mean, I may need to, to suppress like, hey, I know exactly what that means because I've studied it out. Come on, we're a charismatic church. I don't talk in tongues in front of my Baptist brother-in-law. <laughs> Come on, I'm, I'm free. I could do that. The Holy Spirit lives in me. It's amazing. But for the sake of unity and for the sake of responsibility and growing, I recognize, hey, I can suppress that freedom while I'm with people that that might cause them to stumble. You can fill in the blank of what that means to you, but all I know is the more responsibility we have for others and the more we grow, the more we suppress some of those personal freedoms we have. And here's one, one more point I want to give you this morning. Oh, can everybody handle one more point? 
Sometimes I wonder, it's like, oh, God, I've got so much to work on just from that. And there's more? Yes, there's more. Because we're all growing. And Jesus is helping us to grow. And it's going to be okay. Uh, the last thing is this morning is, is I grow, I know it. There, there are ways that we should measure. I, I actually talked one time about uh, that we all have to have goals so that we know whether or not we're growing. You can't realize whether or not you're getting there if you've never looked at where you want to go. We, we need to have goals about where we're going and where we're growing. And how do you measure that? Come on, as, as, as in the natural, we all know how to do that. I, I put the tape measure around my waist or I get on the scale you know, or I, I put the, the chart up against the wall and I see how tall I am. Like, there's, there's obvious ways to measure it in the natural. And even at churches, we fall into that sometimes of like, hey, we're going to count the people in the offering, right? Dad, I remember Dad always used to say, noses and nickels. Yeah, that's, that's what we're counting, to see if we grew or not. We're going to count the people here, and we're going to count the offering. How many of you know that, that spiritual growth can be a little harder to quantify? But it doesn't mean we just forget about it, right? It, you know, just because it's hard to quantify doesn't mean you just, well, it'll happen if it happens. And, you know, how will you know then? If we, if we don't look at it and assess what's going on in our lives, and this, that's really where the rub comes in, because it's, it's not a matter of just being 5% more holy this year. Or doing more good deeds. You know, you know what I mean? Have you ever met somebody like that? Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm 5% more like Jesus this year. I don't even know how to react to that sometimes. It's like, what exactly does that mean? How do you know where 100% is and where, where you are? It's hard to quantify. And, and you can have a goal. Like, like a couple people in the video talked about, I'm going to read my Bible more this year. How many of you know reading your Bible and praying more may help you to grow? But that's not necessarily growth. That, that is not a measure of growth. You know, I, I could, I can grow, I can have a goal of growing in my relationship with my spouse. All right? How many of you know that one's kind of hard to quantify sometimes too? Very, very similar to our walk with Jesus. And, and is my relationship with Pam better, deeper? Is it 5% more like a good marriage this year? I don't, like it's hard to quantify. But I could read five books this year about marriage and it not helped me grow in my marriage. Right? We, we can spend a whole lot of time reading this, and it may or may not be helping us grow. Is it getting in here, though, and is it actually making a difference? I think spiritual growth is often measured one circumstance at a time. One, one test, one circumstance at a time. You know, the, the, goal, the goal of spiritual growth really is a transformed life. When, when, a, when a situation comes that, that's hard... Do I react differently now that Jesus is in me and growing me than I did last month or the month before? You know, when, when, when I'm tempted to say something hurtful to that person because I'm getting angry and I'm getting worked up, do I not do that today? That's actually a measure of have I grown to look more like Jesus? Have, have I put his word inside of me to such a degree that I act and look different than I did before? And I think Jesus measured spiritual growth this way. Uh, he, how many of you know Jesus had a goal to disciple people? He, he had these 12 guys that he met with all the time, right? And how did Jesus measure whether or not he was being successful with those 12 guys? I think there's a pattern. If you look at Scripture, Jesus measured his success in being a discipler by how much faith his disciples had. How did they react in any given situation? Here's, here's just a couple. I'm not going to tell the whole stories for all these because you know them. Um, but Jesus' measure for discipleship is do you have faith? Uh, you remember the story when he was sleeping in the boat during the storm, Matthew 8:26. There, there are all these winds and waves. And what did the disciples say? God, we're going to die. 
you know, Jesus, did you not care about us? Get up and do something about this. And what does Jesus say when he wakes up? He says, Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and suddenly all was calm. It's, it's like Jesus was looking at them. Where's your faith level? I don't. He was Jesus, so I don't know if he ever experienced these moments of doubt or discouragement. But do you think after like three years of like, hey, I'm pouring my life into these guys and, and telling them who I am and who they can be and how they're going to turn the world upside down for me. And, and he still comes to a place where he has to say, you guys don't have any faith yet, do you? Like you have little faith. How many times does Jesus say that to him? And I don't know if he got discouraged or not, but I know that something changed eventually in the disciples' lives where they turned the whole world upside down. Here's another story. The disciples weren't able to drive out a demon one time. The guy, the guy brought his son who had a demon who would throw him on the ground. And, and the disciples couldn't cast it out. And they came to Jesus to say, hey, we, we couldn't get this done. Why not? Why were we unable to have victory here over the devil? And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 17, verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed. How many have ever seen a mustard seed? pretty small right like one of the littlest ones there he says if you have faith like that you can say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move nothing will be impossible for you another story uh peter got out of the boat to walk on the water pretty amazing right how many of you would like to have a walk on the water experience with jesus like there he is come out and see me peter and peter says boom yeah this is awesome what happened a few steps out there where where does peter start looking He's looking at the circumstances around him, takes his eyes off Jesus. You probably heard a preacher preach that story before, and he begins to sink. And Jesus, I'm sinking, help me. And Jesus reaches out and grabs his hand to help him. But what does he say to him? In Matthew 14, 13, 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Come on. Do you think that's what Peter was expecting to hear? I just, I just hopped out of the boat in the middle of a storm on this lake, and you're telling me I don't have any faith. That was Jesus' answer to him. Why? Because he got his eyes off of Jesus. And on the circumstance, he became he went from being heavenly minded to being natural minded. And he began to sink because of it. And Jesus told him, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? And when, when we get fixated on circumstances around us, we actually begin to doubt Jesus. We may not say that with our lips, right? But that's how we begin to act when we think, oh, what happens in the world is more real than what Jesus can do to transform something. We begin to doubt him. We begin to sink and we forget and discount that he has made us supernatural people. He has called us not to stay fixated on the circumstances, but to keep looking at him. Jesus, what are you going to do here? How are you going to change this? Uh, one other example of, of Jesus looking for faith when he fed the 5,000, John chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, there are all these people on the hill and Jesus really wanted to give them some food. He was, he was, can I say that? I don't think Jesus quite makes the, the distinction between natural and spiritual that we do. We, we get so hung up on this is a spiritual discipline and oh, that's just natural. We don't think about it. Jesus was interested in feeding people spiritually and naturally. He, he was looking at the whole man together. And uh, he saw this big crowd. And he wanted to give him something to eat. And he turns to Philip in John chapter 6. He turned to Philip and said, Where will we buy enough food to feed all these people? And verse 6 says, Jesus already knew what he was about to do. But he said this to stretch Philip's faith. Because that's always what Jesus is after. 
are you having faith in this situation? Are you more concerned about the circumstances or what we're going to do together? What I'm able to do. Notice that that story is funny. We read it Wednesday night in the Bible study. Jesus asks him, where are we going to get, where are we going to find a place to buy food? He doesn't say, how are we going to get this food? Oh, I'm worried about the food appearing. He just says, hey, where are we going to find a place to buy it? Because we're ready to feed him. And what, is, what does Philip say? If you read that story, he starts talking about money. Like, Jesus, that's going to take eight months of salary to do this. And he doesn't even answer the question Jesus asks. Because Jesus wasn't, the resources didn't matter to him. He knew what he was about to do. He knew a miracle was about to come. But he was trying to stretch Philip. Philip, I want you to start thinking like me. Which is what he's after for all of us. When The more we grow, the more we begin to think like him in every circumstance. And it no longer becomes, oh, we don't have the resources to feed those people and all this. It becomes, hey, let's get some resources here and feed them. Because it's going to come because Jesus can do miracles. Our response to circumstances shows how much we've grown. And if you may need to get somebody to help you. If there is a circumstance that you've done the same thing in for 20 years and you're still failing the test, you may need somebody to help you, just to keep you accountable, to pray with you, whatever it is. But the response to that circumstance is a measure. Have I been growing or not? Am I I faith-minded or not? Uh, If you remember, it was in Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus tells him, hey, when, when the Son of Man returns... What did he say? Will I find a bunch of converts? Will I find big churches and buildings? He says, will I find faith on the earth? That's what Jesus is interested in from us. Are we living lives of faith? And this is, this is the last verse I wanted to read to you this morning. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus had told the disciples he's going to go to the cross. And they were like, oh, no, never, Lord. It, you, know, you shouldn't do that. It won't happen. It's not right for them to do that to you. And what does Jesus say to them? It says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Oh, Peter really got the raw end of some stuff, didn't he? Like, oh, you know, you, I, I jumped out of the boat for you. You told me I had a little faith. And now, like, I'm just so, I'm trying to tell you how concerned I am, Jesus. I don't want you to get hurt. And you call me Satan? Like, really? Was, was, I don't think Peter was demon-possessed at that moment. But Jesus was saying to him, your words sound more like the devil than they do like the Father. That's what he was saying with that statement. He says, you are a dangerous trap to me. Why was he a trap to Jesus? He says, because you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. I think that's one of the ways we're going to know if we grow this year. How do I begin to see things? Do I, do I begin to look at situations from God's point of view, what he wants to do and what he's able to do through me? Or do I get so hung up on just natural circumstances? Because natural circumstances, you'll never do anything. You'll never grow because we'll always look for what disqualifies it, why it can't happen. Come on, we hear this every day with people we work with, people in our families. Oh, we could never do that because fill in the blank. And God's up there saying, when are you going to look at it from my perspective? That's the growth he's wanting to happen in our lives for faith to be awakened in us to such a degree that we actually look different and react differently to the circumstances we walk through. Let's go ahead and stand. I always know I gotta I gotta land quick when when we're doing a family lunch together because you can smell the stuff coming up from downstairs and everybody's like oh, lunch I don't know what what pastor talk about today I don't know but we had mac and cheese and it was delicious <laughs> mustard we had mustard seeds that's what we yeah. And even if you didn't bring anything to eat, Jesus can multiply food. Like, 
stay and hang out with us, get to meet some people, talk with some people, fellowship, hear some stories. It's, it's going to be good. It's good just to be with the people of God. Uh, ask, ask somebody over lunch today, where are you going to grow this year? You know, pastor spent four weeks talking about this. You know, what does it mean to you? Because we, we don't want it to be a waste of time. We want to be able to say, this is where God's going to grow me this year. This is what's going to look different when 2016 is done than where I am right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. You love us with an unfailing love. You're not angry. You're not disappointed. You really just love us and want us to grow. You, you want us to look just like Jesus because it really is good for us. And God, I ask that even as we've started ourselves these last few weeks talking about growth, continue to work on us, Lord God. Just, just because a sermon series is over doesn't mean we stop growing now. Doesn't mean we never think about growing again. Doesn't mean that we don't get to not cooperate with you and where you want us to change this year. Continue to stir us, to work on our hearts this year. To speak to us about what we need to do to look more like you. And God, I ask for every single person in this room, Lord, let our faith be stirred. Let us remind ourselves when we walk into any circumstance, no matter how difficult it is, that heaven is greater than earth. That your kingdom trumps all the kingdoms of this world. You stir us, Lord, with the thought that you have the last word. That you are seated high above every principality and power and that you've seated us there with you. Lord, shift us this year from being just earthly focused to being heavenly minded. To grow in our faith to such a degree that it causes the church to grow. That it causes the the we to be greater. To look more like Jesus so that people would encounter you. Lord, bless the people in this room this morning. God, continue to let your goodness and your favor be upon us. Continue to let your face shine upon us in every situation, Lord. Even even if the sun isn't out during the day, if it's cloudy, it's rainy, whatever, let us see the light that comes from your face shining upon our lives. God, release courage, release strength, release uh, all the things that we need to walk through this life. Release them to the people in this room right now, Lord God. Your joy, your hope, the things that are in abundance in your hand, Lord. God, we bless you right now. We thank you for this time that we've had together in your presence. Your presence is life to us, Lord. And I thank you that it's not just something that we have to leave Sunday in the building, but your presence goes with us everywhere that we go. Bless us today, Lord. Bless bless the hands that made food downstairs, the the food that we're going to eat, God. Use it to strengthen us that we could continue to serve you well, Lord, that we could live lives worthy of the calling that we've received from you, Lord Jesus. We honor you and we give you glory this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.